All right. Welcome, everyone, to our first service. Who loves being a part of something new? Being able to say, I was, I was there at the, the first one. So thank you, guys. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for taking that little seed that the enemy plants in your head that, what if you're preaching to three people and they're all your staff? So... <laughs> Thank you for laying that to the side uh, immediately. Guys, welcome back. Those of you who have been a part of the Highlands Ranch campus for years and are just continuing with us, thank you for doing that. Those of you who have been a part of Jubilee off and on uh, and maybe have been away for a while, welcome back. I am so glad. It does my heart so good to be seeing so many new faces out when I walk around. New faces and then reuniting with faces from the past. It's, it's amazing. And then lastly, those of you who are brand new uh, for the first time, maybe just checking something out and saying, I want to see what this thing is all about, welcome. I hope that you find family here. That is our prayer, first and foremost, that you would find that this church is a family we like being a smaller church. We like being a community to where you can actually get to know each other. Our vision is that the church should act as a body, should act as a body. These people sitting next to you are your church family. You know, we've, we've just gone through the holidays and Christmas and New Year's, and, and I got to touch base with some of my family, you know, extended family and then not so extended family. And I'm like, I see my church family way more often than I see my actual extended family. So you guys are more like family to me, and I hope that we in time come to see each other that way. When you need support, when you need prayer, when you need help moving, okay? And I said help moving, right? That's how you know a friend, not a Facebook friend, a real friend will help you move, right? I hope we start seeing each other that way because that's what community means to me. And that's what God has put on our heart. And so as we go forward, that's what we're going to be about. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. But I thought I'd start out by talking a little bit about our backstory. You know, in order to understand where we're going as a church, it's good to understand our backstory. And I was going to go there, but in the wonderful prayer that Pastor John gave and the chance that we got to speak yesterday, uh, I kind of laid out a lot of that, like where we came from in our backstory. So I don't want to repeat that. But I do want to highlight something that I feel is really important going forward, and that is the promise that I made to Jesus. I made this promise to him when I gave my heart to him. If you make yourself real to me, I will say yes to whatever you call me to do. The opportunities that you put in my path, no matter how scary they are, no matter how outside of the box they are, if you call me to do something, I will step into that, and I'll give it my heart, and I'll step boldly into that. And so what you're sitting in here right now is the fruit of that promise that I made to Jesus years ago that I will say yes. Because it would have been very easy when Pastor John did his ask, and I'll explain that in a second, to, to say no. And sometimes that is the first impulse of my heart is to say no, especially when it's those things that are outside of the box or outside of the norm is to say no, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not ready for that. But how many of you know that when Jesus calls you, he knows you're ready? He knows you're ready, and he will give you everything that you need if you don't already have it to accomplish what he calls you to. And so back up just a little bit. When Pastor John actually gave us the opportunity to start this as our own church, the way that worked is he actually came to all of the, all of the campus pastors of Jubilee, okay? And he said, hey, Chris and I have been talking, 
and we feel that it's time, Chris is his wife, Pastor Chris, we've been talking, and we feel that it's time to start multiplying the kingdom again. Because when we put seats, when we put bodies in seats at a church, we're adding, we're increasing, we're growing by addition. But the kingdom of God works differently than that. The kingdom of God works by multiplication. And sometimes we put artificial limits on that multiplication. And he said, it's time. It's time to remove those limits. It's time to find out which one of my campus pastors feels that they have a call to step out into something God's calling them to. And let's allow for that opportunity. So Highlands Ranch Campus was set out when Jubilee Fellowship Church was 10 years old. Fast forward 10 years later, here we are at the 10-year mark, and we are being sent out. And each time that that's happened, God has blessed that, taking the lid off, so to speak, and allowed for multiplication in the kingdom. And so here we are again. As he said, I feel like I'm sending my children out. We feel like children who for the past five, six, ten years have been living in dad's garage. Okay? We, feel like, we feel like we're on our own. We're independent. We're living in our garage but now we're out. We got our own place. And so there's a different thing spiritually that happens. There's a multiplication that allows people to grow in their gifts. People from this very congregation who have gifts to offer that in a bigger bigger assembly like Jubilee Fellowship, maybe there wasn't a place or a need for that. I can tell you, we are a place where your gifts, your talents... And what you can offer to this body is not only appreciated and welcomed, but frankly, it's expected. You're a part of this body. And if you are a part of this body, you have a role to play. Okay, And I'll talk about that in weeks as we come. But the big thing is, Pastor John came to all of us and he asked us if we felt ready. Okay, Here's what happened. Snapshot. And I can only tell it from Gabe and I, our, our point of view. We went home. That night, after being asked who feels ready to start something, and we started freaking out immediately. Okay, I'd like to say we immediately jumped up from the table and said, yes, here we are, Lord, use us. Didn't work like that. We freaked out for several hours. Like, what ha- can we, should we, what happens, what happens? And we were going over all the, the details of can we afford it? Well, what's the lease going to be? What's electricity cost? Can we do it? What's our vision? We started going over all these things And I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, slow down, slow down, just ask me this. Just ask me, should you or shouldn't you? Very simple. And that is, guys, that's a principle in spiritual warfare that we can use all the time. When we're praying to God, and we pray these long, convoluted prayers full of all of of our fears and our questions and what if and the little minute details, the enemy can get in there and start mixing up those answers and start saying, hey, you really need to focus on what the electricity bill is going to be. That's what you need to be looking at, not what you're going to do spiritually. Focus on that. It's easy for that. When God spoke that to us, I told Gabe, and I said, hey, I feel like the Lord told us just to ask him yes or no. So we went to bed united in the thought that we were going to pray, and we were going to sleep, and we were going to dream on the question of yes or no. Should we or shouldn't we? We woke up in the morning, church, as unified as we have ever been on anything as a couple, except maybe on our wedding day. I'm hoping on our wedding day. (laughs) From my point of view. And we felt absolutely, absolutely the Lord said, yes, I am calling you to this. And here's what he said. I have called you to this place. I have called you to these people. And I have surrounded you with these people. I've called them to you. 
and I'm not releasing you from them now. So church, I'm here because God is not releasing me from you. You're mine, and I'm yours, like it or not, and here we are. And he went even further than that. Now this is where the human mind comes in. He gave me a vision. He gave me a mission. He gave me a name. He gave me our teaching style. All of this in about the first 24 hours. Okay? Now here's what my flesh did. That's too fast. That's too soon. There's no way that it could all happen that quickly. So I wrote it down. I journaled it. And I set it aside. And I said, I can't go back and tell everybody, yeah, not only is it yes, but I've got vision, mission. I've got, I've got everything. I've got the color of the paint's going to be in the foot. You know, I've got all this stuff. I can't do that because that's too soon. And so I started trying to tinker with it in my brain. Well, maybe we change our mission. We change this wording here. Maybe we change the name. Maybe the name's too long. We should do this. And every single time I did that, the Lord said, whoa, I gave you your vision. I gave you your mission. I gave you all these things. Why are you trying to play with it? And so every time I started thinking, well, I can improve it, I can shorten it, I can do this or that, God said, no, I've called you to this, and I will give you what you need, and this is a start. So our marching orders were given to me and confirmed by Gabe in prayer over weeks and months to do Discover Community Church. And everything that we've started out on was given to me, and there's a reason for it. So our commission from God looks like this. We have our name, Discover Community Church. Okay, and that's intentional. Discover means we are going to be a place where you can discover what your gifts are. You can discover what community looks like. Discover what church looks like. Discover the, 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 the blessing that is in going out and serving our community. Because our salvation is a huge blessing, but there's so much more to that. There's so much more to what God has called us to do than just, just take our salvation, put it on a shelf, and live our lives. And a lot of people live their lives like that. But we're going to discover that there's more, and we're going to do that together. The second word, community. Community, historically, community churches were in small towns. Okay, small towns in the middle of, of, of small kind of remote areas. And as such, they became the focal point where the community would come together. They'd come together for parties, for birthdays, for all kinds of events, Fourth of July parades, all these things, and, of course, church services on the weekend. But they had people in their community that were from all different religious backgrounds. They had Catholics. They had Protestants. They had, they had people from all over the spectrum who came to this one community church. And so what they said is, we're going to welcome everyone from no matter what your background is, no matter what your doctrine is, we're going to agree on some core values and we're going to move together as a community. We're not going to quibble about the little things that differentiate your denomination from this denomination. We're going to move together as a community. And so we are going to be that. We are that focal point where we want, you guys are already living your lives. You're already doing amazing things. We want the church and this body to be kind of the hub that those things rotate around. And then using the rest of the power of this body of Christ to get behind you and some of those ministries and some of those things that you are already doing. And we can multiply 
that power in the kingdom. That's what we're going to do. The compass that's in our logo. You might have seen the, the logo that's out there, the mountains, okay? The compass signifies Jesus. Jesus is our direction. Jesus is our compass. When we don't know where to go, we go to the word. The living word is Jesus Christ, and we go to him because he will not steer us wrong. He will be our one true source and our one true magnetic focal point that is always going to keep us going in the right direction. That's the significance of the compass. Okay, the mountains, hard to discover. They're there, frankly, because I thought they looked cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling you, no great spiritual revelation behind that. I thought it looked really cool. It's, it's a design I had a long time ago, and we had some wonderful designers here give us some different versions of that, and, uh, and I thought it was cool. So that's where that comes from, but the compass is very significant, I think. The teaching style. Okay, I'm going to be an expository teacher. I'm going to teach from the Word, and I'm going to teach the Word, and I'm going to teach it in depth a lot of times. There are many, many different teaching styles, okay? Pastor John is a wonderful thematic teacher. Primarily, they teach themes at Jubilee Fellowship. They come up with a theme, women in the Bible, something like that, and they'll run through, and they find Scripture to support that theme. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to focus more on Scripture and on the Word. And there are a lot of churches, and I'm not saying Jubilee, but a lot of the big mega churches around the world and around the country, they have shows. They put on a show, a production. They have giant LED walls. They have laser light shows. They have, you know, uh, sound systems that would blow your head off. They've got smoke machines. They've got lights, all this kind. And their idea behind this is we need to make church attractive to people who may not go to church very often. Okay. And those people who do go to church, we need to keep it attractive and new to them. So they're always adding new, you know, pyrotechnics and flamethrowers. And uh, me and I've never seen a flamethrower, but that'd be cool. Every time you mention the word hell, that'd be cool. We might have to work on that. That one might be cool. Anyway, I like that. Write that down. So, but here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. There's nothing more attractive than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's nothing more real than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can come and you can watch a show and laser lights and you can hear a very gifted speaker tell you, hey, this is, I've gone to God, I've sought his heart, and here's the vision, here's what he gave me for my people. Here's my belief. Preach the word. Preach the word. It's my job to teach you the word of God. Straight from the Bible. I will every now and then inject a little, hey, this is kind of my opinion. But that's not my job to do. My job is not to tell you what to believe or what to think about what Scripture says. My job is to teach Scripture and let God speak to you. Okay? The Logos Word of God is written down for us. It is never changing. But it's that rhema word. That rhema word spoken directly to our hearts is going to tell me Here's that scripture, and here's what it means to you. That's what I want you to be praying for. That's why we went to the journals. A journal is full of bullet points, and a journal is full of things. Okay, God says I should not sin, and you write in the blank, okay? That's great, and that's obviously that's true, but I feel that it's more important that you listen for what God says to you. Here's how you should respond to this message. Journal those things. 
The journal's not so you can transcribe every word that I say. What I want you to do is listen for those nuggets that God gives you. Here's how I should respond. Here's a reminder of something I should do to change the way I think about this or act about that. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the month or year, you've got a journal full of things that God has spoken to you. Okay, if you just have the notes, you've got a journal full of things or or a binder full of things that God spoke to me. Okay, which is fine. But what he speaks to you personally, that's why we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to that rhema word of God that's fresh and living and new and knows where you live and knows what you need to hear. That's why we're doing things the way we're doing them. So no journals, the, the, the fact that we're, or, uh, uh, no bulletins, the fact that we're not doing bulletins and we're saving money by doing that, that's just being good stewards. We can take more money and put it into local missions. That's our heart is to take every dollar we can and put it into local missions. So we're going to save money on certain things that maybe you're used to. We're still going to try and have it be comfortable and nice, but we want to put our money where it's going to make a difference in the kingdom and God can multiply it like that. We're going to do communion every service, every single service. We feel that God said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said that. Every time we gather together, we are supposed to do that. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do it different ways. We're going to have people from the body serve it. Gabe and I will be serving along with another couple this weekend. We're going to have different people come up and actually introduce communion. Tell us what it means. Because the last thing I want is for that to become something that we do by rote. We just do it because we do it. It's not going to be like that. We are going to glorify Jesus in every single thing we do. Do you know how many churches this last holiday season taught a Christmas message and either didn't or barely mentioned the name Jesus? It's easy to mention the word God. You say God and people are like, okay, everybody's got their God or what their version of God is in their head. But when you focus it down to that pinpoint, this is Jesus and this is who we speak of and this is who we glorify in this place. We glorify Jesus Christ here. Now you've boxed yourself in. Now you're going to offend some people. Now some people who don't want to hear the name of Jesus. I'm not so sure about Jesus. God, okay. But Jesus was kind of restrictive, wasn't he? Didn't he kind of say the only way to the Father is through me? Surely there's thousands of different ways. Look at all the people in the world. There's got to be more than one way. People get offended by that kind of thing because they don't understand how a living God can say, hey, you either walk this path or you're out. How could a loving God say that? Well, I believe it's just the opposite. I believe that a loving God is going to give us direction. He's going to give us a map. How comforting is it if you were just to say, hey, go out into the world and do your own thing. Let me know how it turns out for you. We'll all find out at the end. That's not what a loving God would say. To me, a loving God would say, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me, and here is the way. And he wrote it down so we couldn't lose it. Okay, that's what a loving God would do. That's why we're going to glorify Jesus. We are going to serve the community also. That is our, it's in our vision, it's in our mission. Serving the community is what we're going to do. Global missions are wonderful. Okay, they are wonderful. But we have so much need in our backyard. So much need. And we have a unique opportunity to be able to pool our gifts together and serve our community and make a difference. When we were talking about potentially doing this, I asked Gabe, I said, let me ask you this question. If we were to just close, 
Say we just hung a closed sign on the door. Instead of going as discover, we just close. Would our community know? Would there be a vacuum that we left in our community because we weren't there anymore? And our family would know, of course. But would our community know? And I believe that the answer was no. They wouldn't know. They'd drive by and go, oh, okay, that's a marijuana shop now. Okay, whatever. Okay. Could be something else, but... But that was, that was stunning to me. That was a hard revelation that we, we are doing ministry, we are doing great things here, and we have been for years as Jubilee Fellowship Church. Nothing wrong with that. But I want our community to feel that we're here. I want to be able to go into our community and be the light. That is leading us to our mission statement. Mission statement that God gave us. If you could throw it up there. Here's our mission statement is Discover Community Church. Discover Community Church is a place where the body of Christ will be encouraged and equipped to use our spiritual gifts in order to actively care for our neighboring community and to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. And encouraged by witnessing the fruit of local outreach firsthand, equipped by ongoing study of the word to hear his direction. We are going to serve our community and we're going to meet here to get equipped to go do that. And we're going to be encouraged by doing that. The encouragement is about testimonies. Guys, we're going to incorporate testimony into our, your testimonies, into our services. This is going to be a place where not only the spiritual gifts are encouraged and allowed and explained and talked about, but testimonies as well. Here's the thing. I'll bet you a lot of you are sitting here going, it's been a long time since I've seen a miracle or I've really seen the Holy Spirit move. But what you don't know is a person sitting next to you or two seats down from you saw an amazing move of the Holy Spirit in miraculous ways today. But the enemy wants you to think, ah, the Holy Spirit's not doing much. Miracles, they're, they're old, they don't happen anymore, but they're happening every day in this body. And the enemy wants you to keep those to yourselves because if you say something simple like, hey, we were out of, out of gas in the car and I was afraid I wouldn't make it to the church, but when I looked down, suddenly I had a quarter of a tank and plenty to get here. That's a miracle from Jesus. I know it because the low fuel light was on last night. Or if you're me, three days ago. Okay. Okay. That's a miracle from God. But the enemy's going to say, oh, don't say that because they'll just go, oh, maybe there's a thing with your fuel gauge and maybe you were just off and whatever. That's a miracle from God. Okay? You share that with this body and now the body can be encouraged that God is alive and moving. Jesus is doing things in our midst. Miracles happen every day. The media of the world would want to tell you that that doesn't happen every day. It happens every day. It has happened multiple times in this body today, last week, last month, but we don't know about it. We only know about what we see, okay? And if we're not sensitive to it, we can walk by a lot of miracles and not even realize what they are. We're going to share those and thereby encourage one another. That's what we do. So in the next few weeks, we're going to go through each one of those things in our mission statement has a scripture attached to it. It's biblical. It's not just something that I just said, hey, that's unlike our mountain logo. Something, hey, that sounds cool. Let's do that. There's scripture that backs up all that, and that's what God gave me. So we're going to unpack that in the next few weeks. But for this time, for today, I want to teach you a little bit on James 1.22. 
James 1.22 is the first part of that scripture. Okay, and it reads, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. There's a larger section of scripture, and as always, I ask you to read before, read after. Read the book of James. It's not very long. James is an amazing book. It's got so many great things in there. It's got a series of tests, essentially. Where's your faith? Is your faith active? Is your faith alive? James goes on and actually kind of challenges us with some of these things. And in fact, I want to ask, who is James? Who is James and what gives him the right to talk to us that bluntly? Okay? Delude myself. Myself. Who is he to talk to me like that? Let me give you a little background on who James was. First of all, James wrote this epistle somewhere like between 44 and 49 or so A.D. Okay, it was actually the first of the epistles to be actually written down in written form. So it was, it's one of the oldest ones. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James was the half-brother of Jesus, came from, and there was a family of at least seven siblings, okay, we don't know for sure. They weren't very good about documenting the number of girls back then, but we know there was at least seven. So we have one half-brother and seven full siblings, okay, living in Joseph's household. So it's really no wonder that James had a little problem with Jesus being the Messiah. Like, really? I saw you. You know, we went out as a group and we went camel tipping, and now you're telling... Come on, that's funny. And now you're telling me you're the Messiah? That may or may not have happened, by the way. That's not in the Bible. I'm just picturing hijinks that kids, you know, in those days would have gotten into. Okay. But so, here's what's telling to me, is that the brother, half-brother of Jesus, while actually denying him in Scripture, saying, I, I don't know if you are, Back in, in, uh, in John 7, 5, it actually documents James is like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But later on, obviously by witnessing the ministry of Jesus, by seeing the miracles and the things that Jesus was able to do, James came around and actually became the head of the first church in Jerusalem. So he's got that authority. Not only that, but he speaks of actually seeing the resurrected Christ. Okay, scripture documents that. James saw the resurrected Christ, spoke to him. He actually was at, when Jesus gave his sermon on the mount, James was there. James was there. Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. This is one of the things that Jesus says. I'm going to read to you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his hand, his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's Jesus' teaching. James is there, and he hears this. And so he comes out, and it's not just, hey, this is my pet peeve. People are hearing the word, and they're not doing it. He hears Jesus teach this. 
And so he comes, and when he writes his epistle then, he's saying, this is important to me, and this is important for you to understand, that we are to be doers of the word. So you go back then, James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Doers, that word doer, I want to highlight that really quick. That says more about who you are than something that you did. Okay, if it said, but do the things the Bible says, do the things Jesus taught, okay, that would be a little different, and you might say it's semantics, but I could go out and do anything once. If you tell me to do something, I can go do it. If you become a doer, that speaks to your character. You are a doer of the word. The word says, I should do these things. I should act this way. I should be this kind of person. I want to be a doer of the word. And therefore, it becomes second nature to you. It becomes your character. That's what a doer is. And that's what James is saying. Not just, hey, just go out and for show, do something. Let's be doers of the word. Second part of that, delude yourselves. Therefore, delude yourselves. That word delude is actually, the, the root of it is deception. Okay, James was a Jew, and he was very well versed in all the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, the law, all that. And he knew that going all the way back to the very first deception, which happened way back in Genesis, very early on, who is the author of deception? Satan. Satan is the author of deception. And so he's not saying, like we would say, now, hey, you're kidding yourself. Okay, kidding yourself. He's saying, don't delude yourselves. Don't be deceived. And don't be deceived by the deceiver, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of everything that God wants to do, Satan. So he's saying, in essence, he's saying, those of you who just hear the word and go home and you're just happy with hearing the word, but don't live it out, you're being deceived by Satan, that that's good enough, that that's all you need to do. He's saying, don't do that. Don't give Satan that, that respect and that foothold in your life. He goes on in 2.17. So James also writing again in 2.17 says, even, and you've heard this before, even so, faith without works is dead. So he's saying, be a doer of the word. And then a little bit later, faith without works is dead. He's very clearly saying that there's much more to faith in Jesus and your salvation than just saying, hey, I've got it, I'm good, Right? We have to live that. We have to live it out, okay? And Paul actually echoes that. So later on, when Paul's, Paul's writing in Romans 2.13, Paul says this, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law will be declared righteous. So when Paul is saying, hey, you can't just hear it to be righteous. Just hearing the word doesn't make you righteous. You need to obey it. You need to go out and do it. Which leads us to the elephant in the room. Whenever you start talking about being a doer of the word and faith without works is dead, immediately there's a giant elephant in the room. And who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, Ephesians 2.8 talks to this directly. And here's what it is. Ephesians 2.8. Again, this is the same Paul that just said that you have to obey the law to be declared righteous. Okay, He says this to the Ephesians in 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that one may boast. 
How do we balance that? Not as a result of works so that one may boast. But then in Romans, he says it's those who obey the law that will be declared righteous. That seems, well, that's wrong. What happened there? Some Must be a problem in translation, right? Or uh, something. People will point to things like that and say, this is why the Bible contradicts itself. This is how you can't really necessarily trust it. If you were here last week, I mentioned this, and I'm going to mention it a lot. When you see things in the Bible that don't seem to make sense, either it doesn't sound like something God would do, or that contradicts another verse in the Bible, I want you to look at it more closely. I want you to take the time, the effort, be an honest student of the Bible, and not just say, well, yeah, those contradict, but I just take it on faith, or I just don't think about that. Be honest and look at it. The Bible can stand up to some scrutiny. It can, and it has for thousands of years. Here's what you need to know. When you have something that doesn't make sense, dig into it. First thing I want to ask you is, who is James' audience? Who is James talking to when he wrote this epistle? Who is he talking to? Here's who he was talking to. He was talking to recent Jewish converts to Christianity. Okay, A lot of them had probably been to the Sermon on the Mount and heard Jesus preach and teach. And what they did is that they said, okay, we've been living under the law for so long. All these laws, all these rules, we've been living under them for so long. They're kind of heavy and burdensome. And here's this teacher telling us that we don't need to do that, that that we're saved by faith and by grace. It's a gift. Well, let's just take that gift and, and cherish it and then live our lives. Forget the law. That law is hard Let's forget that. So he's talking to a group of people who have taken that grace pendulum, okay? You've got middle of the road, you've got legalism over here, and you've got grace over here, okay? And those people have been living their life over in that legalism scale, and they said, what? Jesus is saying grace alone is is where we're righteous? Okay, wham, and they swing that pendulum all the way up to that grace end. So they're forgetting the law, and they're just living their lives without any attention to that, And James is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's bring it back to the middle of the road here, people. There's more to this than just that. So that's why he's writing that. He's saying, look, if you just take your salvation, okay, I'll see you in heaven. But there's more to this. And so come back to the middle. Join me in the middle. And that's what he's saying here. That's why he goes through this. In fact, Jesus himself said the law is not irrelevant Okay, in Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. Okay, and so this group of Jews that James is teaching to, they, they heard Jesus talk about the, the grace part, but they must have been absent from school on that day when he talked about, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Okay, they missed that day. So James is saying, no, there's more to it. And God's laws aren't about being punitive. God's laws aren't about punishing. God's laws are there to keep us safe and to keep us walking down that right path. That's what they're for. Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of not only God's law, but God's love. That's what Jesus is for. In the Old Testament, there's actually 613 laws. 613 laws. So no wonder this group of Jews said, Whoa, sweet, we don't even have to worry about that anymore. Awesome. Let's set that aside. 613 laws. There's nobody that could do that. The Pharisees spent their entire lives 
trying to fulfill all these laws, and they couldn't do it, as, as Jesus challenged them on. Jesus comes, and he boils it down to this. He says, okay, all that, that's all valid, that's all good, but I'm going to boil it down for you. I'm going to boil it down to two things that you need to know. And he says this, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. This is the Pharisees asking. They're actually trying to trap Jesus, if you remember. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They're trying to get him to say, which is the, which is the most important of all the laws? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay, so when he's speaking the law and the prophets, that's all Old Testament. That's the Torah. Okay, that's all of the Jewish canon, the law and the prophets. He says, all of that, all those volumes, I want you to boil it down to this. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when he says that, it brings us back to the center. So with that in mind, how, to respond, how do we respond then to James' teaching? Where he says, faith without works is dead. Where he says, be doer of the word. So I'm going to read this again. I'm actually going to read, we've got 122 up here. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, and I want to focus in on that word blessed. This man will be blessed in what he does. Doesn't necessarily mean an abundance immediately shows up in your bank account. It means you're blessed by being able to see the fruit of what God has called you to do. That's one reason why we want to encourage testimony in here. We step out in what God has called us to do, and we're able to see the fruit of that and how people are blessed by our faithfulness and listening to God. And he blesses us, make no mistake. He'll bless you, but there'll also be effects in the body. And we want to talk about and glorify those things that happen, the blessings that come to us from being doers of the word. And the blessings will come. So two things I want to say. A single doer, individually, a single doer can change a life. You could go out today, listen to God, and do what he asks you to do, and you can change a life. But a body of doers can change a world. Guys, you want to come with me on this journey as we change first a city and then a nation and then a world? Let's start that. There are churches all over this country and all over this world who are doing that right now. And we're going to start right here. We're going to start right here today. So if the worship team wants to come up, here's how we're going to close this out. We are going to have communion. We have communion every service. And I'm going to have somebody lead us in that communion. We are going to have response time. After every message, I'm not just going to say, have a nice day, see ya. We're going to have some time built in, a couple songs worth, two songs typically, where God can minister to you. He can speak to you about how do I respond to what I just heard.
How do I respond to the teaching I just heard? That's built in. Okay, Jim White's going to come up and actually lead you through communion. Before that happens, I have one thing that I want to do, and I'm going to read you a quote. This quote fits very nicely. I heard it a couple weeks ago. fits very nicely into the concept of being doers of the word and how our effectual uh, multiplication as a body can make changes in the world. And here's the quote. You don't have to do something amazing. You just have to do something simple. If everyone did something simple, it would be amazing. Church, do you want to be amazing with me? Do you want to join us as we follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and we individually do our part and we transform this community into something amazing? That's where I want to go. So I want to pray and then I'll, and then I'll let Jim come up and introduce communion. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you take your word, your word that I was blessed enough to be able to transmit today and solidify that in the hearts and in the minds of everyone here hearing me, whether they're podcasting or whether they're here today. God, take that word and speak to them. Speak to them that fresh rhema word, not the words I spoke, but the words you need them to hear, the words that are your orders, your orders for being doers. And not orders as in a task list, but orders that are gonna lead us to life lead us to blessing. God, everything else I say, make it just fall to the side and pinpoint those words that you need the individual to hear because those are the words that change lives. God, we are here as a body. Use us. Use us in mighty ways. We want to be transformers of this community and of the world. Your hands and feet, your reflection, God, we want to be all that. And so here we are, Lord, as we celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to call up Brother Jim White, and he's going to come up and walk us through communion. Thank you, guys. John 6, 23 through 59, in which Jesus declares he is the bread sent from heaven, which gives life. The second, third, and fourth are located in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, Mark 14, 22 through 24, and Luke 22, 19 through 20, when he tells us, we are to break the bread of his body and drink the cup of his blood in remembrance of him. Today we have an opportunity to do just that. As you eat and drink, remember all he has done for you and draw nearer to him to be sustained by the, blood of, by the bread of heaven which gives life. Let him remind you of the covenant made by him as you drink the blood of that covenant be assured of it be assured of his covenant 
that he will never leave you or forsake you in the act of following his command. There are two stations at the front with bread and wine, and there are stations at each cross with bread, gluten-free trackers, and juice where you can serve yourself. Please join me and others as we obey our Savior by remembering him. Thank you. 
blessing over you as we prepare to go. We're going to continue to worship after this, and you're welcome to stay and hang out and love on Jesus a little longer, but I just want to bless you. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord be gracious to you. We love you. We're so glad you came this week. Uh, we want you to feel free to hang out as long as you want to. Let's uh, connect out in the foyer, uh, but if, uh, if you want to stay in worship, let's just keep this place in here, a t- place where we can have a time of prayer, a time of just soaking in what God is speaking to us. We bless you. Thank you for celebrating Jesus with us this week. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the A 
this is true.